We are in week two of this series, My Life Under Construction. And this is really just a series about, about anybody who you, you haven't gotten to where you want to get to in life. You haven't made it there yet. You're, it's a lot slower than you thought it would be. You end up somewhere else than you thought you would end up. And you feel like that you need to restart in a way. You feel like you need to rebuild a renovation project, a reconstruction project. And we're using the book of Nehemiah because the story of Nehemiah is an incredible roadmap, an incredible manual for us to figure out how to, with God's help, restart, rebuild, you know, renovate, whatever it is, to, to where we need to be. So that may be uh, rebuilding a great marriage that's not great anymore, a relationship with our kids, our personal health, finances, our faith and relationship with God. Whatever it is, we say like, man, I really need to rebuild. And that's what this series is about. We said last week, there's only three reasons you would ever rebuild something. Number one is because it was damaged. Something happened to it and it needs to be rebuilt. Maybe that's you in your life, that you, something happened to you. Maybe your marriage is a mess because of something that happened to you. Maybe your relationship with your kids is because something happened to you, your finances, whatever it is, your faith, something happened to you. And God says, hey, it was damaged, but let's rebuild it. Maybe the second reason you rebuild is because it was neglected. It wasn't something that happened to you. It just got neglected. So your marriage or your relationship with your kids or your career or your health or your finances, it was just neglected. And so now it needs to be rebuilt because it's been, it's been neglected. And the third reason that you rebuild something is just because it's, it's so old, you can't really do anything with it. And we serve a God that loves to do new things. Amen. So God's not up in heaven saying like, man, I love what I did in Jason 15 years ago. He's saying, man, I can't wait to do some new things in Jason, some new things in your life. And so I really believe this series kind of can resonate with all of us where we are and saying, okay, this is where we are, but this is where we want to be. This is where God wants us to be, what God wants to do in our life. And, and this is where he's going to take us. And so maybe you've seen before as you've, you've been somewhere that, that's been remodeling or under renovation, you ever see the sign that says, part in the mess, I'm under renovation. We've just, we just grabbed that for our lives. We just declared that for our lives. Why don't you just turn to the person you're sitting beside right now and just tell them, say, pardon the mess, pardon the mess. I'm under renovation. God's working on me. It's a work in progress. I'm not there yet, but just hang on, hang on. We're gonna get there, all right? So, so last week was all about repentance. You cannot fix a problem you won't admit that you have. You cannot find a solution to something that you don't admit is a, is a problem that needs an answer. And so we started last week with Nehemiah, the very beginning of Nehemiah's story, where Nehemiah finds out that his hometown of Judah, Jerusalem, has been destroyed, and it needs to be rebuilt. And, and, and Nehemiah goes to God, and he says, well, let's start with what he doesn't say. Nehemiah doesn't say, well, this serves them right because that's what they did. He doesn't say, well, it's Babylon's fault. He doesn't say, well, he says, we have sinned, we, including himself. And then the next sentence says, even me and my family, we have sinned. So what we said is, no rebuilding project starts without repentance. I can't be in denial about my problems. I gotta face it. I gotta take it, I mean, dead on, face it, head on. And I gotta say, this is on me. My marriage is where it is because of what I have done, what this is on me, the way I've reacted, my finances, my health, my faith, my relationship with God, my relationship with my kids. It's on me. I'm not blaming anybody else anymore. It's not the world's problems, the culture's problems, my mother-in-law's problem. It's 
my problem. It's on me. And God, I am sorry. But the best part about the last week was the end when Nehemiah said that, that, yes, this is on me, but you said if we would return to you that you would bring us back from the ends of the earth. So we just said, we just, we, we copied a little LL Cool J last week and said, don't call it a comeback. Don't call it a comeback because Jesus said he's going to bring us back. We just have to own up and say, it's on me. We're starting with repentance. And this week, we're going to move into the end of chapter one, a little bit of chapter, chapter two in the book of Nehemiah. So if you've got a Bible or however you use the Bible, you can go ahead and flip over to the middle of chapter one. I'll meet you there in just a second. Okay. There are two ways to look at life. Two ways to look at life. One way is to view life as a, as a series of just mere coincidences. Just may, maybe that's you today. Maybe you're just a big coincidence type person. Random events that add up to create your life, your career, your family, the city you live in, just coincidences. But I, I don't just subscribe to, to that, that way of thinking. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in providence. I believe in, in providence and providence is, 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 it's like coincidence plus God. That's what providence is. And we read about it in the Bible. It's what Paul described in Acts 17 when he said that God marked out our appointed times in history and the boundaries of our lands. The providence of God is the supernatural dominoes that, that fall at just the right time and just the right places that guide the steps of the righteous. That's what Paul said in Psalm. He said, the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. It's providence. It's the way things add up, when they happen, how they happen. And you can either view life as coincidence or you can view life as providence. And sometimes it can be hard to see the providence of God in real time. In real time, you can't see how it's all working together. But in hindsight, you get far enough away from something and you can see the providence of God in your life. Let me give you an example. I don't believe that it was a coincidence that on a Sunday afternoon in 2002, I got a last minute phone call from a friend needing a guitar player at the Marietta Church of God for the choir that night. And three minutes before service started, maybe the only time she's ever been early in her life, this red haired, tall, smiling girl walked through the back left door of the sanctuary. And it wasn't really love at first sight because I had seen her about 50 times at youth camp. But something about that day, it was like love at 50th sight. And she had no way of knowing the day before when she cut her hair off and dyed it red for the first time in her life that she was going to get the attention of the guitar player that night. And 15 years and six hairstyles later, <laughs> we have four children. It's not coincidence. It's providence. I could tell you about how I became golfing buddies with this guy named Craig when I lived in Georgia and I was 16 and he was 22 or 23 and we became golfing buddies. And then I, I, I a couple years later, moved to Louisiana for my first job in student ministry and he came to Louisville and we were there for a little bit. And then I interviewed at another church and thought we were going to get it, but we didn't get it. And then Craig found out we were looking and he said, come work for me. And and it was the middle of summer in Louisiana, so I said, I'll take it, whatever it is, I'll take it. And so uh, we came up here, we served on staff for him for three years in a really random turn of events. He decided to do something else, and then eight months later, the church decided that they wanted us to be the pastors. And now, eight years later, here we are, and, and God is doing something. It's not coincidence, it's providence. You can't explain it any other way. Don't stop with the coincidence stuff. You got to add up the dominoes that fall and the steps of the righteous that are ordered by God. 
I was, I'm a podcast junkie, and I was listening to a podcast recently. Uh, they were interviewing Howard Schultz, the CEO of, of Starbucks. Any Starbucks fan in the room? Let me see your hand, Starbucks people. Yeah, all the broke people in the room. And um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, so CEO of Starbucks, and he, he was sharing the story about how Starbucks became a, uh, just a, a world-leading business. And the story, the quick version of the story is that Howard Schultz was raised in New York, both parents, and he uh, was a pretty good athlete, and he got a chance to play uh, college football in the state of Michigan at a smaller school in Michigan. And he showed up on the college campus thinking that, that he was pretty hot stuff. And when he got there, he found out that he was going to be the backup quarterback because the starting quarterback was a guy named Steve Mariucci, a pretty famous NFL guy. And 18 years old, freshman year, he gets hit in the chin by someone's helmet, and and it does some severe damage, concussions, some bone damage in his back, actually messes up his jaw, and he can never play football again. The whole trajectory of his life was changed in that injury, and he decides to focus on business. And so, so Howard Schultz ends up graduating. Four years later, he moves back to New York. He has some odds and ends jobs until he lands up, he lands, ends up landing a job at a, at a, at a, a home appliance sales position. And he's selling these home appliances, and there is this really random, seemingly insignificant device that they sell, which was a non-electric coffee maker. Now, you got to remember, this is 1981, so it's pretty much Folgers. That's, all you, that's what you did, right? And so this is a pour-over. Uh, I'm not really a coffee connoisseur, so I'm just go with me here for a second. Evidently, you just pour hot water over it or something. I'm not sure. So anyway, so he, he, he's fascinated by this little device. And he gets an opportunity two years later to fly out to Seattle and to sell this to a little coffee business out there called Starbucks. They don't sell drinks, they just sell beans. And when he gets to Seattle, he falls in love with the city and he tells his wife, we've got to live here. And so he convinces the owner of Starbucks to hire him. And for the next two years, he does sales for Starbucks until his boss one day sends him to Italy on a sales trip to, to, to get beans and figure out more things. I don't know exactly what they were doing, but he's over in Italy. And when he's over there, for the first time in Howard Schultz's life, he sees coffee bars and street-side coffee shops, and he fell in love with the romance and the community of the coffee bar and the, and the coffee shop. And so he, he comes back to America on that plane that night. He, when he's flying back, he knows what the purpose of his life now is. He wants to figure out how to recreate that. Here. And so he comes back and he goes to his boss and he says, We have to like stop focusing on the coffee bean. We got to focus on the coffee drink and we got to sell it. His boss says, That's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. We're not doing it. And so he quits his job at Starbucks and he goes and he start opens up three of his own little coffee shops. And they're not making any money, but he loves what he does and he knows this is his passion. Two years later, he gets a call from the owner of Starbucks that says, look, I'm having some financial trouble. I'd like to sell Starbucks and I'd like to sell it to you if you're interested. He said, I'd love to. How much? He said, $3.8 million. Howard Schultz had no money and he figured out a way knocking on doors and talking to investors. He raised $3.8 million. He bought Starbucks, merged them with his three stores. So now he's got six stores and he begins the journey of creating what we now know as the Starbucks store with over 23,000 stores worldwide. And that includes Shepherdsville, Kentucky. Holler out for Shep. Fast food capital of the world. Got the Starbucks. We're moving up, baby. 
Now, you can listen to that story. Now, I'm not judging Howard Schultz just based on some things he said. I don't think he's necessarily a believer of Jesus based on some things that he said, which is neither here nor there for this story. But you can look at that story and you could say, wow, that's a bunch of random coincidences. Or you could look at it and say, that's more than coincidence. That is providence. Like there was a greater plan happening here. Like there was, there was something going on, something happening in the story bigger, bigger than just what the person involved in the story knew about. And so providence is pretty cool. And you could do that for yourself. You could think through your story and think back and kind of connect the dots and work through all that. And I think that's great. But, but it's not just about providence because providence has a, has a tag team partner in, in the role that it plays in your life. That it's not just providence, but providence tag team partner is the favor of God. So you've got providence and you've got the favor of God. And when they mix together, incredible things begin to happen. So for the second week of this series, I want to talk about the favor of God. It's often neglected and, and it's not talked about a lot. I've never preached on it much, but, but I believe that favor is the secret sauce to any rebuilding project that God is trying to do in our life, any building project for that matter. The favor the favor of God. The favor of God is a term that we find in the Bible. Excuse me, my microphone keeps falling off here. It's a term that we find uh, in the Bible in lots of places. And the, way, the, the definition of favor is just the undeserved kindness of God. The undeserved kindness of God, which is really kind of all-encompassing because everything that I have, the fact that my legs work, the fact that I'm breathing, it's all the undeserved kindness of God. But there is more of a specific uh, kind of favor that we find in the Bible. And I would define it like this. I think this is a more accurate definition of the favor of God for where we're going with this story. The favor of God is God doing for me what I cannot do for myself. The favor of God is God doing for me what I cannot do for myself. Let me give you an example to kind of explain the favor of God. At the Isaac's house, um, we have recently uh, done some restructuring and we have had some pretty good success getting the kids to start paying attention to the chore chart, right? We, we, we've got, we're running a prison at the Isaac's house, three meals a day, you work your job, you get some playtime in the yard, all right? And so thanks to the inspiration of George and Julie Green, we have been able to get our, our two oldest kids to help around the house. I mean, this is crazy. I know you're not going to believe me, parents of younger children. We're actually getting them to do dishes. Uh, they are vacuuming and cleaning, doing laundry. It's unbelievable, I know, right? And, and it all changed when we got the chore chart and when we found, you know, what, what they were into, which was not so much money, but electronic time, all right? And they're my kids. We should have known that, but that's, that's what they wanted, and so, I mean, the chore chart has revolutionized the Isaac's house. It's unbelievable. But with birthday money and with some few, a few different things, trying to teach them how to save and stuff, we're, we're saying, okay, you got a little money, you can save, you know, we're going to give to God, and then we're going to, you know, you can buy something. And parents, if you've ever had your kids save money for something, you know how it works every time. They never have enough money to buy what they want to buy. Isn't that how it works? So they work and they save and they save and they save and they've got $12, but they want pom-pom wows for $19.99, okay? <laughs> and so knowing that I am the softy in the parenting duo of the house, 
They come to dad and they say, dad, you're a great dad. Love you, dad. Love your generous heart, dad. We want to buy these pom-pom wows. And dad, this is just the starter pack. You can get 30 and $40 pom-pom wows. We want to get the starter pack with pom-pom wows. And it's $19.99. And we only have $12. So like, could we like, um, could we like clean our room for $7? I'm like, no, you get a quarter for that. You know, like, it'll take too long, dad. It'll take too long. And almost every time, inevitably, I'm like, all right, I'll tell you what. Don't tell mom. Get in the car. We'll go to the store. We'll get the... We'll get the pom-pom wows. What they're doing is they're appealing to their father for undeserved kindness. They're appealing to their father to do something for them that they cannot do for themselves. They have no more money. They can't come up with any more money. This is, if, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen because dad comes through. Are you following me? Okay, so that is all throughout the Bible, that is the example of the favor of God. How does Joseph get to be second in command of Pharaoh? God does what only God can do. Providence and favor mix up. It's a, it's a powerful concoction, right? How does Moses get back to Pharaoh? Providence and the favor of God. How does Esther get there? Talk to the king. Providence, favor of God. Over and over and over again, we see the providence and the favor of God coming together. It's what our heavenly father does for us that we cannot do for ourselves and it's undeserved and it's a blessing and it's a bonus and it's this powerful uh, movement that he moves in our direction to, to do things on our, on our behalf. It can look a lot of different ways. The favor of God can look like uh, applying and interviewing for a job that you in no way deserve or have the qualifications for, but for some reason they call you back. It can look like getting a job beyond your qualification. It can look like getting a spouse that you don't deserve and are unqualified for. Come on, man, that's a good place to say amen. It's a good place to say amen right there, right? It could look like finding, I don't mean literally finding, even though it's pretty awesome when you put those winter clothes back on and there's like a 20 in there, but I'm talking about like kind of more figuratively finding extra money that you weren't expecting, you know, the check in the mail, whatever it is. The favor of God can be open doors that were once closed to you, but now are, are open. But, but the favor of God is not just some of those obvious kind of boom, wow moments. I believe the favor of God also, also happens kind of at a, at, a, at a more micro level that we may not even realize sometimes. I believe that this is just me. You don't have to take this from me. This is how my dad was raised and believed and taught. My grandmother, matter of fact, my grandmother called me last night and we we're talking about something else, and I brought up the message, and she started getting excited and preaching to me. And, and, uh, but I believe the favor of God on your life, like, it, it allows your cars to run longer than they should run. It's like, you know, you're, you're a tither, you're a giver, you're asking God to bless you and help you. And it's like, now, you may not drive old cars in your house, but the Isaacs, like, we're, we're running on the 2002, 3, 4, 5-year model, you know. And, and, and sometimes, like, it, it, it just seems like, blessings are in your life in ways that you don't understand. Like you look back over the last two or three years and you realize you, you haven't hit your deductible on your insurance because somehow your kids have been healthy or you haven't been sick. Like little ways that in real time you don't realize, but you look back and you say, wow, man, that's the favor of God on my life. It's unexplainable. It's undeniable, the, the unexplainable, undeniable help of God. But I don't want to just make it sound like a lucky jackpot or a genie in a bottle. 
The favor of God is also compound interest in hard work over time. It's also compound interest in, in being diligent and faithful in what you do. So, so, you know, the favor of God can rest on your marriage and give you a marriage beyond your wildest dreams, not because somehow luck happened, but because hard work and time and attention and romance happened. And there's compound interest in that. That the favor of God can rest on your finances but it's not just because somehow you got lucky and hit a jackpot. It's because you saved and you run a budget and God gives kind of that compound interest blessing on your life and the things that you have been, have been working hard for. And so it's, sometimes it's that random, never saw that coming lucky stuff. And sometimes it's just that compound interest blessing type of things on hard work and, and faithfulness in our life. And we find Nehemiah praying for the favor of God in chapter 1, verse 11. Now, we said last week that Nehemiah is living in Babylon, and he's found out that his hometown is in ruins. And his first response was to pray and to fast and to mourn, and he took responsibility for his sins. But after repenting, Nehemiah pivots his prayer. And I think this is so important because some of us can get stuck on the, the condemnation, repentance, mourning side, which I think is... There is a season for that. But if you spend the rest of your life saying, God, I'm terrible. God, I'm awful. I'm never going to be able to do it. I'm addicted. I'm a bum. I'm awful. Like, thank you for repenting. But like at some point, you got to pivot and say, okay, now we're going to dream again. Now we're going to plan again. Now we're going to believe again. Because, yeah, I did ruin it, but God's going to rebuild it. So even when David had the affair with Bathsheba and killed her husband, he mourned for seven days, like, and then he got up and got her pregnant again. So, I mean, you got to move on at some point, okay? That's in the Bible. It's in there. Like, you got to move on and dream again, right? And so Nehemiah, he doesn't just stay in this, we're awful, this staying in this, this mourning season. He knows that something has to be done. He begins to dream and to plan, and in verse 11 of chapter 1, we read 5 through 9 last week, the prayer that he prayed about his repentance. And in verse 11, he says, O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. And this is not the point of the message. Let me just say real quick, that's so important because like we don't just go to God like, God, I'm going to dishonor you. I don't care about you. I'm not going to live for you. But hey, will you get me lucky on this one? This is like, hey, God, because I'm living my life honoring you, to bring honor to you, look at what he says, please grant me success today. Nehemiah doesn't want success for Nehemiah's sake. Nehemiah wants success for God's sake. He wants success to honor God. The motive of his prayer, he says, please grant me success today. Nehemiah knows something needs to be done, and he also knows that without God's favorable help, there's really not much he can do. But with God's favorable help, there's nothing that cannot be done. He made up his mind he had to do something to try and to rebuild Jerusalem. But remember now, Nehemiah was just a glorified bartender. That's, that was his job. He was the wine bearer, the cup bearer. And, and, and he was just a glorified bartender. How could a bartender rebuild a whole city well, the good news for Nehemiah, maybe you think it's a coincidence, I don't. The good news is that he wasn't just any glorified bartender. He was a bartender for the king of Babylon. 
the king of Babylon. Not a coincidence, incredible providence. Because the providence of God puts you in the right places at the right times. Now, I think it's important that we stop for just a second and make the point that Nehemiah, like we said, he wasn't just content with like feeling bad for his current reality. He felt responsible. He didn't just feel bad, he felt responsible. And there's a difference between feeling bad and feeling responsible for a solution, okay? We talked about owning our issues last week. We're not gonna play the victim anymore. We're going to own those issues. We're gonna admit that we've ended up where we are because we stopped putting God first in our lives at some point. It's on us. It's on us. But here's the great thing about taking ownership of your problem. When you take ownership of your problem, you realize that not only are you the problem, but with God's gracious help, guess what? You're the solution too. So as long as you play the victim, you can't get better unless somebody else makes you better. But when you take ownership of your problems, you realize I was the problem and a God, if you'll help me, I am the solution. And so that's where Nehemiah finds himself and that's where God comes into play. The moment when we own what we've done, we own where we are and we realize that with God's help, we can be the solution. So we pray for favor. Let me ask you a question. What needs to be rebuilt in your life? What have you ruined that God wants to rebuild? Because it's not just enough to feel bad about your mistakes or your sin. You also have to take responsibility and decide to go to work and begin rebuilding. The favor of God is not a get out of jail free card for the lazy. It's an energy boost for the hardworking. It's a breakthrough for those searching for a solution. And if we will do the little things like they are big things, then God will do the big things like they're little things. That's the favor of God. And so before we start praying Nehemiah's prayer, God, make us successful today. God, give us success today. We've got to ask ourselves a few questions about if we really want the favor of God. So you want to be successful today? You want God's hand to be on your life? You want to have success? Let me ask you a couple questions. How early are you willing to get up? How early are you willing to get up? Every time you hit the snooze button, you're delaying your dreams nine minutes at a time. So you want God to give you success today? How early are you willing to start your day? How hard are you willing to work? How hard are you willing to work? How much are you willing to save? You need, that, you need the hand of God, the favor of God, the providence of God to be on your finances. How much are you willing to save? You wanna find freedom from, from that hurt and that pain that has, that, has, that has wrapped you up and chained you up and you say, I wanna rebuild that relationship. How willing are you to forgive? You addicted, you wanna find freedom. How honest are you willing to be? Do you need to rebuild a great marriage? How much counseling are you willing to go to? Do you need to rebuild your, well, uh, your health? How long are you willing to stay at the gym? Do you need to rebuild your faith? What are you willing to say no to to spend more time with God? Because God desperately wants to put his favor and blessing on our life. He's just waiting on us to own it and decide that something needs to be done and to take responsibility for it. So Nehemiah knows something has to be done. Somebody's got to do something. And so he decides it's going to be him. 
He's going to own it. He's going to take responsibility. And he knows that he has to have God's favor and he has to have God's providence on his life because what he's about to do is crazy. He's about to do something bold. Are you willing to do something bold to change a situation in your life? Are you willing to do something bold to rebuild something or to start over? Because Nehemiah said, it's going to take something bold, and God, I need you to grant me success. Nehemiah is going to go ask the king for help. And don't think king like some little Disney movie, like, you know, there's eight people in the story. This is the king of Babylon. Okay, this is like getting before the emperor. This would be like you trying to go get before the president to ask for help. But wouldn't you know it, Nehemiah works for the president. And so Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, this is what it says. It says, early the following spring in the month of, there should be two S's in there. We're going to say Nisan because that's a good car. During the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence, which let me just stop and say, like, that's a powerful statement. Like, you want God to give you favor with your boss? Like, you may just be a jerk. So you're like, God, give me favor at my job. Like, nobody likes you because you don't work hard. You show up late, you leave early, and you're a jerk. Okay, so Nehemiah is going to ask for God's help. But Nehemiah also always shows up with a smile on his face. He always shows up in a positive frame of mind. He always shows up hardworking. And so when the king sees that he's never been sad, and so when the king asks me, why are you looking so sad? Like, there's some revelation right there for us. Like, God probably wants to give us some favor with men. But we're intolerable. So we got to work on that. But that's not the point of the message. So let's keep going. Why are you looking sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. I love that statement because you could be doing something bold for God and have the favor of God and still be scared to death. I love that. I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king said, well, how can I help you? And with a prayer to the God of heaven, and this is one of those prayers, you've probably prayed like this before. He can't necessarily pray out loud because that would be weird and freak out the king. So he's talking out loud, but he's praying in his head. You ever had that when you're sharing your faith with somebody or when you're interviewing for a job, like you're talking, but you're praying in your mind the whole time? That's what's happening with Nehemiah. He's praying while he's talking. He says, with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleased the king and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. That's a pretty big ask right there. We'll just stop and say, he's asking for, you know, paid leave. Like, that's, that's a pretty big ask. Let me go and, and rebuild this. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, said, how long will you be gone? Will, when will you return? So in other words, like, do you have a plan? Are you just winging this or do you have a plan? Because God would love to put some favor on a pretty good plan. And it doesn't have to be chaotic. That could also be a good plan. And God says, I can bless that. He says, do you have a plan? And, uh, and so when I told the king how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Also, I said to the king, if it pleased the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through the territories on my way to the king of Judah. So, that's, so he asked for paid leave. Then he didn't ask for paid leave. He asked for the king to like, endorse this plan, right? One more, keep going. He said, then, please the king, send a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's force, instructing him to give me timber. I will need to make beams for the gates to the temple fortress for the city walls and for the house for myself. So he asked for paid leave. He asked for the king to endorse it. And then he asked for the king to pay for it. 
The bartender is asking the king if he can have paid leave. It could be like a project for the king and the king could pay for it. Now we see why Nehemiah was saying, God, please give me success today. Because Nehemiah can't do this on his own. You kidding me? No way. Look what it says, last sentence. And the king granted these requests. Why? Because Nehemiah was smart. Nehemiah was smart, but that's not why God granted the, the king granted the request. Why? Because he was charming. Probably was charming. Never seen him sad before. But that's not why the king granted his request. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. He got a yes because of God. He got signed off, paid for, paid leave, timbered, to rebuild the city because of God's favor and God's providence in his life. It's, the, it's, it's all throughout the scripture that God doesn't just send us out there to do great things on our own. He said, you can't do great things on your own, but if you'll let me order your steps and guide your steps and you will pray for me and let me to, to give favor to your life, there's nothing that cannot be done. And for some of you in the room today, this is the first time you've ever heard about the favor of God. You're like, you're telling me there's something out there called the favor of God that could like help my situation? That's what I'm telling you. That God wants to bless you and show unmerited kindness to your endeavors and what you're trying to rebuild. Can I be honest with you? Don't want to discourage you. On your own, your marriage is so terrible, you cannot fix it yourself. But the favor of God on your marriage can heal it. You are in so much debt that on your own, you'll never be able to get out. But God's hand on your finances, you can. You keep giving example after example. That God wants to put his hand on my life and on your life and his favor on our lives. And so for the last just few moments today, I want to give you three challenges if the favor of God is a real thing, and it is, it's all throughout Scripture. If the favor of God is a real possibility, like if, if the favor of God could really rest and be on your business, are you kidding me? Like you've got a great business, but what could God do? What, what could your business be if God's favor rested on it? If this is a real possibility, then I think there are three challenges for us today. Number one is this, if favor of God is a real possibility, I've got to stop underestimating who, or you've got to stop underestimating who you are and where you are. Challenge number one, stop underestimating who you are and where you are. We didn't read it, but at the very end of chapter one, Nehemiah said, I am the king's cupbearer. In other words, he was just saying like, I'm a nobody. It's what Gideon said when the angel showed up. It's what Moses said when God showed up at the burning bush. It's what Elijah said when he was hiding in the cave. Like every time God shows up, they're like, you can't use me because I'm a nobody and here I am in the middle of nowhere. But the providence of God mixed up with the favor of God eliminates my excuses for where I am and who I am. I'm broke, I'm addicted, I'm messed up. Who cares when the providence of God and the favor of God gets together? You think it was just a coincidence that Esther was beautiful? Orphan, living with her uncle, what could God do with that? But God knew what his plan was, and he says, I need a, a gorgeous woman to get the attention of the king in a beauty contest. So Esther could have said, well, I'm just a, an orphan living with my uncle in a land that's not my own. 
And that's what we think, and that's how we are when we underestimate who we are and where we are. But God says, you're not doing the building. You're not, I'm doing the building. Stop making excuses. Your business isn't in the wrong side of town. Your kids aren't unsavable. Your, your marriage is redeemable. You're not living in the wrong house. Your kids aren't going to the wrong school. Stop underestimating who you are and where you are. When I took Sadie, and I'm going to say this later, but I'll go ahead and say it. When I took Sadie to her first day of school, man, I'm walking through those halls. I'm praying in my mind and under my breath, God, I just pray for favor on this school. I pray for favor on this teacher in this classroom. And that kid right there, he looks like trouble, God. I just pray for, I mean, I'm just like, so what? My daughter goes to the lowest ranked elementary school in Bullock County. I don't care. Because I'm not going to underestimate who we are and where we are because I'm not going to limit God's providence and favor on my family's life. So God has providentially placed you exactly where he wants you with exactly what you need to make a difference because God's favor isn't just for you. It's always to make a difference in or for someone else. So stop underestimating who you are and where you are. Second challenge, if the favor of God is a real possibility, and it is, second challenge, dream bigger. You've set dreams based on what you can accomplish. But we're not talking about what you can accomplish. We're talking about what God can accomplish through you. God's hand, God's favor on your life. I just finished this book called Chase the Lion by Mark Batterson. And he had this quote, in every dream journey, you have to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. You have to go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. A friend of mine the other day who's a real estate agent said that one of his dreams was to sell 100 houses in a year. I said, what's the national average? He said, 12. It's like, okay, let's, let's dream bigger, baby. I love it. I love it. He said, I want my kids to go to college. I was like, that doesn't sound like a big dream. Well, yeah, they have terrible learning disabilities. Dream bigger. Dream bigger. Whatever it is, you're thinking about what your limits are. Listen, God's favor trumps it all. So if a God with unlimited opportunity and resources is on my side, why am I dreaming so small? Can I just, can I just share a dream that's in my heart? I, it's kind of embarrassing because then if it doesn't happen, then people, you know, you sound like an idiot and I, whatever. But like every time I drive by that Kmart down there, I just think like, God, you're gonna give us that building. Hope City Church is gonna be in that. Like it's the only Kmart still open in the United States. Like I... That's the providence of God as far as I'm concerned. They've shut them all down but that one because we're not ready yet. But in all seriousness, like when I drive past that thing or every now and then if I got to pick up something small, like I'll go in there instead of Walmart just so I can kind of pray, pray in there. And Like I'm not saying that God said for sure 100% that's gonna happen, but there's just something in my heart. Like I know that a church of 300 people with our size, with our finances and who knows what God's gonna do. I know that without divine intervention, that would never happen. But I know with providence and God's favor, there's no reason it couldn't happen. So that's in there. Um, number three, if the favor of God is a real possibility and it is, this is kind of a no brainer. I'm gonna pray for God's favor. I'm gonna ask for it. I'm not gonna be embarrassed about it. I'm not gonna be ashamed of it. I'm going to ask for it. Psalm 69, 13, David said, but I keep praying to you, Lord, hoping this time you will show me 
favor. And so, man, I've just decided in my life, I'm just gonna be praying favor. You know, Luke 2.52, it described Jesus as a child. It said that he continued to grow in wisdom and favor with God and man. So I just pray that over my kids. I'd encourage you parents tonight when you protect your kids into bed, just put your hand on their arm or their chest or their you know, head or whatever and just be like, God, I just pray for favor on my kid's life. Raise them up, God. Don't let them be limited by my parenting ability, God. I just pray that like the favor of God would be on their life, God. When you walk into your office tomorrow, pray for it. Just walk around, just be weird about it. Just walk in, put your hand on your desk. Like, God, I just pray for favor that every file or piece of paper or contract that goes across this desk would just be dripping in your favor. Go go, put your hand on the chair across your desk. God, every interview I do today, every conversation, every meeting, I just pray your favor would be on it. Go put your hands on that 2006 Dodge Caravan. Put your hands on the front hood of that thing. Say, God, it's got 217,000 miles, but I pray favor on the hood of this Dodge Caravan, God. On this transmission, God. I'm kidding, but I'm not, really. Why can't God make that car run longer? Why can't God make your kids perform better in school? Why can't God make your business grow? He can. Why are we ashamed of that? Let's pray for it. Let's be like Nehemiah and say, God, I'm gonna be bold, I'm gonna be smart, I'm gonna have a plan, but God, I'm praying you grant me success today. So when you get in your car tomorrow morning, just say, God, grant me success today. God, I pray for your favor on my life. I pray for your favor on my business. I pray for favor on the church. I pray for favor on my kids. I pray for favor on my, on my money. And this is not a genie in a bottle. This is compound interest on faithfulness and hard work. Providence and favor. It was a dynamic duo. It was on Nehemiah, and I believe it's on our lives too. Let's pray.